It's me again, Michael Garrison, DO and host of Dear DO Podcast, your source of lighthearted, honest, and informative conversations about medical school and residency. If you hear some birds and cows in the background of this intro, don't worry because the rest of the recording was not conducted in the middle of a cow pasture. It was recorded in my living room. And if you didn't listen to last week's episode about home buying, physician loans versus conventional loans with Dr. Meredith Herman, DO, please give that episode a listen. This week, we are going to cover your questions from social media regarding physician loans, how it works, whether you should buy or rent, when you technically qualify for the loan, types of loans, how much money you can get, why interest rates matter, and what an earnest money deposit is, and how much you need in your bank in order to buy a house after medical school. All this and more, but first... Alrighty, guys. So just picking up where we left off from last week, I am here with Dr. Meredith Herman, DO, an incoming PGY1 pathology resident. If you did not hear last week's episode, go ahead and just scroll down and give that one a listen. We give a lot of background about not only pathology, but we also talk about the home buying experience from someone who has just lived through it, which I feel is the most um, the most important way to get that kind of information. So now we're going to tackle some listener questions. These all came from Instagram, but um, we're just going to kind of go through one by one, if that sounds good to you, Meredith. And um, yeah, so our first question is buy versus rent. And we got that this question at least three times. Um, somebody said it's an overwhelming decision that involves too many variables. And I could not agree more. That is the most overwhelming part of it. There's just all of these moving parts. So I my biggest takeaway was it depends on how much money you have in the bank before residency even starts. Um, so for me, I was kind of going into it solo. So I'm just going to speak to that experience real quick. I had no funding from anyone in my family. I had only my loans from medical school, which were quickly drying up, let me tell you. And so um, I kind of had to play this game of like, okay, how much money is it going to take to buy a home? Even though physician loans say $0 down, there is still money that you have to spend in order to buy a home. It's not like it's just free. Um, so we're kind of going to go through all of those things that, that I'm kind of alluding to, but we're going to go through one by one. So anything that you have to add real quick? Um, I do have to say, if you work before medical school, just save that money, just put it in a, you know, a <laughs> money market. I, I mean, I'm not a financial advisor. I don't, I'm not a professional at this, but just personal experience, put it somewhere where you can't touch it and like force yourself not to touch that money because you're going to need it down the road. And if you work before medical school or during college or you work throughout medical school, make sure it's, you know, taxed income, put it in a, you know, a separate account from your loans, because it's hard to separate the two after you've gone through med school and you have all these purchases. So have just one account for hard earned money, because you're going to use that for the house buying process. And that helps tremendously. So that's, that's my little tidbit. of. I didn't even think about that. And I think it's important. I mean, you can, someone, ha it's going to take longer because your loan officer has to sort through and say, okay, there's loans here, but which one's earned income and like, so just have it separate. And that helped me a lot. Me and my um, husband, we both had, you know, our loan accounts and we had our, cause we both went through grad school. So hard earned money from jobs we had over the summers, additional income, whatever gifts that you get from weddings, just put it in that account. Don't touch it. Um, unless you absolutely need to, but have your loan money for everything else. 
That is great advice. Um, something else that I did not realize that you could do when you're buying a house, it's this really neat thing. And you probably might know what it's called. I looked forever last night in my notes from, from when I was trying to go through this process. Could not find the exact term for it. But it's this thing where you can offer over asking with your loan money. So traditionally, physician loans do not cover closing costs. If you offer over asking and tell the seller, hey, I'm giving you, I'm offering you 10 grand over asking, but I want those 10, that 10 grand to cover my closing costs, that money can be allocated for the closing costs. And so you don't need that money in the bank. And that's important because closing costs can be like five to 10% of the purchase price, which is outrageous. Do you know what that's called? Um, I I don't, but I do remember we did that for some offers. Nice. And that was part of the contract. I think that was like contract um, in the offer letter we put in to in writing saying we'll pay X amount over asking. Um, but we also said, okay, we want this towards closing. You guys pay for a warranty. And like, so there was like a give and take with the seller and the buyer. So you can put that in the offer letter and just tell your agent that's what you you, know, you guys will talk about what's what works best for you guys. Sometimes they will recommend that if you're in a physician loan process. Yeah, because they kind of, especially when you get a, a real estate agent letting them know and asking them if they've ever done the physician loan before, because if they have, then they should know that, you know, physicians make a lot of money, but people like us coming straight out of medical school do not have a lot of money in, in the bank traditionally, especially if they didn't have time to you know, have jobs and stuff like that. I knew so many people in medical school who had never had a paying job ever, which I thought was crazy because, you know, I'd been working since I was 15, but, um, and I never saved a dime of that money, mind you. Uh, so obviously not a financial advisor either. Um, so there's, that will save you money, right? Like that offer letter, having that kind of contingency saying, you know, I'm offering you over, but that money is actually still mine because it's used, it's being used to cover the closing costs. There are still other things that you might need money in the bank for. So one of those things is the earnest money deposit or the EMD, um, which is essentially the deposit that makes it so that you're locking down that property while it's undergoing the inspection, the land survey, all of those things. That's usually one to 5% of the price of the home. Meredith, I know you know a lot more about the earnest money deposit. So if you could just speak to it. Yeah. So we essentially, that's, um, you know, like you, you should have some cash ready and write a check and that's when you deliver to your, um, the agency. So as soon as you have an offer put in and they accept your offer, as soon as the seller says, okay, that's a good offer. We accept, you have to go and hand deliver it within a certain time frame. a check that is like harder money. You're like, we are serious about this house. And it could be, it depends on the price of the home. It could be a couple thousand dollars, but usually that's like, that's going towards the home as well. So it's not completely like dissipated. I mean, it depends on the arrangement you have, but usually that's like, it's going into the home after that. Nice. Yeah. And that was a good point to, to make, you know, sometimes that it seems like you're just, you know, coughing up a couple thousand dollars, but that couple thousand dollars will go towards the bottom line of buying the home. You know, it goes into, it's like, I don't know, some, this is a random example, but sometimes when you have to, you go get your hair done, you know, they ask for a deposit, it's like a $25 deposit. Um, and that, that like secures your spot for getting your hair done. But then at the end of the day, you get the $25 back in the price of the haircut. So they take $25 off, off like your salon bill or whatever. 
Another thing that you will need money in the bank, um, write a check for is the inspection. So depending on the state, um, it can be like $175, $250. But the physician loan, like I said in the last episode, that's a four-point inspection. Those four points are roof, plumbing, foundation, and electrical. All must pass that inspection in order for you to qualify for the loan or the lender, the lender will not give you the money. Um, So this means no major fixer-uppers. If anything, that makes it really hard to get equity on a home, kind of, you know, because you want to get a fixer-upper if you're trying to get equity. But that means that you have to have those four things and maybe just, you know, the kitchen's ugly or there's old carpet everywhere and stuff like that. But everything else has to be intact. So um, that and make sure that you have a good inspector. So I knew somebody in the area. He told me, you know, he could just look at pictures and he would tell me like, no, that's a that's a bad place. Don't buy that place because they have, you know, the the seal between the the chimney and the roof isn't right. And there's probably mold all up in the attic. And that's probably why this house has been on the market for so long. That saved me an earnest money deposit and an inspection in terms of money. So if you can find yourself a good inspector, do it. Yes, definitely. And I have some points to add to that as um, your real estate agent will usually recommend some inspectors they've worked with and who they trust. So as soon as we put an offer in, she gave me a stack of business cards and said, okay, these are people to call. And I called and had to arrange a time and day for them to come out. The agent needs to be there during the inspection. Mm. You just can't have this inspector walk in. I mean, you don't even have the keys yet to the house. Right. So the agent needs to be there to let them into this house if it's still occupied. And you can add on termite inspection, especially if you live in Michigan. Termites, radon, which takes 48 hours to recently put this device in, and it takes two days, and they have to come back again and read it wow. um, to make sure it's safe. So that's an additional price package. You know, you get a set package, a four-point package, but you can add additional. Sometimes the lender might want additional things because that's how they're going to need to improve. So make sure your real estate agent communicate a time that works for them because they're going to have open houses that they're coming from. They, I mean, they're working around the clock. So make sure your agent is always in the loop time and date secure, you know, secure the time of date that works best for them. Um, and also you should be there during the inspection. You don't have to be, this doesn't have to come, but you're buying that home. You need to know what's wrong with it. So we went through and we're like, Oh, there's a little crack. Is that drywall or is that foundation? Oh, it's okay. It's drywall. That doesn't mean, you know, it's not a bad thing. Oh, and there were some things that came up. We're like, oh, it's good to know as a homeowner because if someone ever asked us what about this, we knew, you know, we had seen it and the inspector would walk yeah. us through everything. And so they spend a couple hours walking through your home that you're going to buy. And then at the end, they do a debriefing summary and they give you paperwork. They send you a whole document like that's 50 pages long and it has everything in it. So you need to make sure you're there and you know the highlights of what, you know, what is wrong, what you'd be paying attention to. And as a homeowner, you should know everything about that property. Did you, after the inspection, did you come back to the seller and request anything be completed? Because you can do that. Yes. And there were some items. Um, it, it was a home that was well-maintained, but needed updates and hadn't been updated in like 25 years. So there were, you know, things that needed replaced. I mean, they were fine, but we needed a new uh, storm door and, you know, the screen was falling out. And we're like, well, we need a new door. Can you pay for that? And I said, well, no, but we'll give you a credit of half of that amount. Nice. So you can go back and you kind of negotiate, say, well, we're going to replace the furnace. Okay. Well, can you replace that? Or can you split the cost or take that away? So like you have to negotiate with them and your agent will be there to mediate that because you don't want to be stuck with all of these 
bills as soon as you move in. And it's kind of their responsibility to make sure things are up to, up to par with, you know, what you're buying. Um, and, um, you, I know you're gonna talk about the appraisal, but, um, I just want to put in this point before I forget is in our offer letter, we, you know, said we'll buy for this price contingent upon appraisal. Yep. You know, there were so many instances, um, and I talked to our real estate agent and she's like, people waive their appraisal. Why would you waive your appraisal? That is like, you need to make sure your house is going to like be what it is and it's not going to fall apart, but people would waive it and there'd be black mold issues. There would be foundational issues and they would buy this house and there, there's nothing to cover them. Um, so don't waive appraisal. Don't sell. I mean, I know even the house will be pretty and well renovated and brand new looking. It's going to be a pain to replace some things and fix things if you don't have an appraisal. So make sure you have, you do not waive it. That, I mean, I'm not an advisor, but just be smart and use common sense. Do not waive it. <laughs> yeah. And for a lot of, actually for physician loans, you do need, you need both the inspection and the appraisal because so appraisals are basically like uh, making sure that the, the house that you're buying is worth the amount that you are being lent. So if a house is actually worth $150,000 and you're trying to buy it for $300,000, that appraisal is going to tell the lender like, hey, they're getting screwed out of a deal. You're never going to see this money back. So the lender appraisal is within 30 days of that ERM, you giving that deposit. It's usually about $600, at least in the state of Florida. And by the way, I'm not a professional on this at all. Um, but this is all things that I was told by my amazing real estate agent, not the first one that we mentioned, the second one. So $600 with or without a survey. So a survey is when they, you know, they walk your property and they tell you, you know, what is actually your land and what's not. Sometimes like your neighbor's fence might actually be on your property. And so that's kind of a problem. Sometimes you might be on your on your neighbor's property and that's also a problem. So um, surveys cost an extra amount on top of that $600. Um, so you have to keep that in mind because if you are pre-approved for a house and it's on the market for X amount of dollars and your appraisal comes back and says, hey, it's actually not worth that amount but somebody else is willing to pay that amount, then you will lose the house hands down every time because you will never be approved for that amount for that house. Yes. And if you're lucky, you know, the value might be, the appraisal might have it higher than what you're offering. Yes. And we, that happened to us just a little bit higher, but we're like, oh, phew, you know, it saved us this amount of money that we can put towards, you know, re renovating the place. So that's why we say contingent upon appraisal. We are offering this amount depending, no matter what the appraisal says, we're paying this amount. But if it comes in less, we're paying less. We're not paying more. We're paying that, the offer right. or less. And that kind of covers covers both ends. Um, so I think that's definitely a really smart way to go about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that way, you know that you got a good deal too. So that's very good. <laughs> Another thing with the inspection, and this was something that I learned along the way, um, because I was, I was very interested in this house but somebody came in before me and they were also very interested in it. They got an inspection and right after the inspection, they pulled out. And so that should be telling me like there's a red flag. You know, there's probably something very much wrong with, with that house. Okay, well, I would have needed to put down the earnest money deposit and then put on the money for the inspection. The money for the inspection is non-refundable. So I would have gotten that earnest money deposit back if I saw something red flaggy in the in the inspection, but I would have been out 250 bucks for an inspection. Um, but what you can do, which my real estate agent let me know, is that um, 
you can have your real estate agent reach out to the other real estate agent, the the previous one who just got the inspection. So my real estate agent could reach out to their real estate agent and ask them for the inspection report and split the money with them. So that way I would have only spent half of $250, you know, we could just split it and then I would have, you know, knowledge of, okay, that's why they backed out. It could have been something as trivial as, you know, carpet, but it could have been something as severe as black mold, a foundational issue, a roof issue. And so that'll just save you money. I ended up not doing that because I was like, you know, it probably is a red flag. I'm out. But that's just something to think about. And also, if you decide if, you know, house is too much, you know, with all the you know repairs, a uh, condo is also another good option, especially if you're starting out. Um, you know, the HOA, the Homeowners Association, um, will cover a lot of those. They are responsible for foundation. They're responsible for roofing. They're responsible for outdoor gardening, you know, like mowing grass and snowplow and garbage, you know, removal. Um, so that's also another way around it. If you're worried about those issues coming up and having to repair things, uh, condo might be another good option. And that's what we went with because, you know, it was a little bit more affordable and, um, it was a little bit harder to, there's a lot more to paperwork to do, um, to get a condo just cause you're dealing with the HOA and there was all these invoices and information we needed to make sure we got it processed. Um, but we knew everything was covered. Like the four point inspection was pretty much them, uh, minus I think plumbing and electrical to some degree, if it's inside the house, it's yours, but they, you know, that kind of helped cover up all those other issues. They, it's like, we were not responsible for foundation. We're not responsible for like a tree that's going to fall in the house. That's their responsibility, you know? So that kind of took a weight off our plate. Definitely. And so I think that you are transitioning to another question that we got perfectly, which was what kinds of homes qualify for a physician loan? So you mentioned that you got a condo, used a conventional loan. Um, I forgot to mention that during this episode, but these people should have all been listening to last week's episode. Anyway, <laughs> um, so what kinds of homes qualify for a physician loan? And traditionally, it is a standalone single family home. So that means no apartments, no duplexes, which are like, or triplexes, no no multifamily homes. Um, traditionally not condos either. It depends on the condo. That's kind of like the gray area. Some condos would apply and some wouldn't. Um, and then thinking about things like HOAs. So I, it doesn't matter whether it has an HOA or not for the physician loan, but just in case the listeners don't know what an HOA is, it's a homeowners association. So those are people who should be taking, um, you know, some responsibility on the outside of the home. Traditionally, like uh, they tell you what colors you can paint your house. They they keep up the maintenance of like the roads, the parking lots, the, the landscaping, the roof, um, all of those things. If it has a gate, they, they, take care of that. And then they also can host really fun like community events too, if it's kind of a more enriched homeowners association, or if you have a pool in your community, things like that. So don't think, you know, if you have an HOA, you're kind of like throwing away money. Some of them, you are kind of throwing away money, but you have to ask like, okay, this is the HOA fee. What am I getting in return for those fees? You know, what are you doing for me? Cause I'm not just going to throw this money into the wind. Exactly. And the HOA is kind of like a I don't want to say it's like an e-board, but it's like it, they're voted into their positions. So there's a president, a vice president, et cetera. And they host annual meetings, which you should go to. We just went to one last week. Um, it was very insightful because you see- That's so exciting. Yeah. Well, you know, we're the young, we walked in, they're like, you are the youngest people here. 
And I'm like, geez, you know, I'm like, well, we're a doctor. I'm a doctor. And they're like, well, you look like you're 18. Okay. You know, I'm like, I'm an adult. I, I know I'm a homeowner now. Um, but you get to hear what the issues are. And it was like, some of them were just like random concerns about X, Y, Z. And some of them were genuine. Like, well, what about the roofing? Oh, there's going to be an additional assessment put on our bill because they're repairing the roads and you pay into that. Um, how good is the leadership? Are they actually, you know, what is included with the HOA fees? So for us, we decided, okay, well, conventional was better for us for the loan to get the condo. And also with our busy lives as professionals, we don't have time to plow the snow in the morning. We don't have time to cut the grass. You know, we don't really, we have other things going on to be doing that. So that honestly was great for us for as long as we live at that condo, everything's going to be covered and one less expense to pay for. And honestly, if you look at the pricing of replacing a roof and what the HOA does, the HOA actually does the best, um, most cost efficient option because they have a budget. You know, they can't go way over yeah. with what they got. So there is some um, security with that. And, you know, HOAs, the, the fees can range, you know, especially in homes and yes. neighborhoods um, where maybe they're not cutting your grass for you, but they're they're maintaining the signage, you know, outside. That kind of fee might be $50 a month. Whereas, you know, something more robust with a pool, they need to plow, they need to do all the landscaping. Those can be like $200, $300 a month. So you have to factor that in when you're budgeting as well. So even if your mortgage is, you know, $1,700 a month, but then you have an HOA of $300 a month on top of that, you need to make sure that you have that in your in your means, basically. Definitely. And some, most of them will um, cover internet services and cable. So it was a perk for us. We're like, well, that seems like a lot, but covers internet and everything else, trash and like recycling. I mean, honestly, it kind of balances out and it might be a little bit less than what we actually would pay to get a new lawnmower, to get a snow plow, to, you know, the time it would take us to do all of that. It kind of, it balanced out. So uh, on to the next question, at what point do you qualify for a physician home loan? And we got this question I think twice, tw- at least twice. Um, and the the short answer of that is as soon as you sign your contract from your residency program. So if you if you matched on the 17th, some people got their contracts the same day that they matched. Mine took like a, a week to come in, but your salary should be listed on that contract. Once you sign that contract, you're technically an employee of theirs. That is your contract saying that I'm going to be your employee for the next three, four, or five years, however long your residency is. Um, so that's a short answer, but it can be a lot more complicated than that when you're trying to buy a home. So I know that you have firsthand experience with that. So if you want to talk about that. Um, yeah. So the, the match and, you know, medicine, you get that offer and that's the contract you get. That is your job and you're guaranteed an X amount of dollars as a salary starting out. So that is kind of what you're working with. That's what you're telling your loan officer. I'm getting paid this amount. And that's how you're getting financed because they're expecting that amount. So if you go with conventional, um, that offer letter is not going to be sufficient all the time. So that was the issue I ran into. Um, So an offer letter was not solid evidence. Um, And sometimes there are contingencies still that you need to complete, like all the paperwork and modules and background check and drug screen that needs to all come back clear before you start. So um, with the traditional loan, you know, we ran into issues like, well, the offer letter is not really valid. Like, how is it not valid? Like, 
you know, and you don't get paid until after July. You can't really, you know, preview having income. So work with your program coordinator. If you have a union for your residency program, work with the union, you know, find your pro, you know, get a letter written saying you are making that amount of money. Um, and that will be enough. Just that, that confirmation to your loan officer that you will get financed because you have proof of income before you actually get the income. So it's, it's very like, it's a gray area, but it, that's what they need. So just make sure you know what the loan officer needs for you to be financed. Yeah. And so, I mean, you said that you had, you know, a little bit of trouble getting, getting that going for me. It was so, it was so easy. I, I literally had to just tell them, tell the lender, oh yeah, I'm making X amount of dollars. And they were like, okay, well then you're pre-approved for this much. Like, I don't even know if I really even sent them something official. Uh, I probably did, but like, uh, it was not hard to get or to find. So every residency program is going to be a little bit different. Um, and just making sure that you have all of your ducks in a row. It can be as fast as, you know, the next week that you could be pre-approved for for a home loan. And then that pre-approval typically lasts 120 days. So you have 120 days to find and buy a home. But not that after 120 days, you can't buy a home. You just have to re renew your physician home loan pre-approval. Absolutely. And the pre-approval part is really important because it's kind of anticipating how much you're going to be approved for your loan. So you can get that ball rolling like as soon as you find out where you match. Because that takes pro that's time because you need to show first episode we talk about what they need from you to get the pre-approval process done. And that was a lot of paperwork and that was probably the most tedious part. And if you have a partner, oh, yeah. if you're married and you're buying a house together, they can almost get that process started as soon as you get matched. Um, or if they're just curious, they can get started even beforehand if you're going to rely on their income for more. Um, so just be prepared for that pre-approval process. It takes time. The approval process, time, you know, like everything takes time and there's a lot of moving pieces in the entire process to stay on top of. And as far as like just getting started, I remember I got started with it um, right after match. Like literally the next day, I just Googled physician home loan lenders. And I, I understand that that was kind of a sketchy thing to Google, but honestly, it worked out because um, it was kind of like this official looking website, but I was like, I might be getting scammed right now. And they asked me for my email address and my phone number. And literally that day I got like five calls from different lenders and I had my little notebook and I like made notes of, okay, this lender is offering me this rate with um, like a seven one arm. This one's offering this rate. And so you could kind of keep your, keep track that way. But other than that, like that's basically how you get the ball rolling. You just have to kind of put yourself out there, find these lenders, give them your information, take their information, find out how legitimate they are before you give them all your information, obviously. Like I'm not a financial advisor, but that's just how I went about it. And I hope that my identity was not stolen in the meantime. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. Yeah, that's definitely hard. Uh, we we just went through. If you have, if you know someone who has bought, if you, like when you get matched, ask the residents like if they bought a home, who they recommend going through, and just call up and say, "Hey, I'm buying a, you know, I want to buy a house. Can I meet with you?" And just set up an appointment. So if you want to avoid all the phone calls, we just made you know one call and set up an appointment, and we just drove down to the office and we had a meeting, and we didn't have to deal with all the phone calls. But we had to. I remember I did that one time where I, have, I was trying to like price out how much my car was worth because they wanted that for the pre-approval process, and there was like it was called like Kelly Blue Book or whatever, and I typed in like, oh, how much is my car actually worth? Because that's your it's an asset of yours, right? Um, it's property you own. 
And then I get these calls and I'm yeah. like, can you please, I'm like, I'm not selling my car. I just need it for like financing. Like, stop calling me. Like, I can't take it anymore. Uh, or, like you might get that. They're trying to help you. They're trying to, you know, do their, do their job. But yeah, that, that does happen. Yeah. So that you brought up a much more efficient way of going about it. And I will use that in the future. Um, because looking back, I was like, that was kind of a dumb move on my part. What else? Um, how do the interest rates compare to traditional home loans was another question that we got. And this is going to be the last question that we'll have time to answer. But typically, the physician home loans are going to be substantially lower interest rates compared to traditional home loans, especially in this past like six months where you saw traditional home loans, their interest rates skyrocketing like seven or eight percent, something like that. The physician home loan was actually very, very doable. I think it was like five percent. Um, so it's really good in comparison. Obviously, like just do what makes sense for you. That whole debt to income ratio. If you have a lower debt to income ratio and you decide to do a traditional home loan, your rate might not be as high as someone else. Um, so for me, it made sense because I had so much debt um, coming out of medical school. My medical school was very expensive that my debt to income ratio was very, very high. So if I chose to do a traditional home loan, it would have been I don't even know. I don't even want to know. Probably like 8%. But um, with the physician loan, that would have been 5%, which would have been totally fine. Um, and I'm going in solo. So I know, Meredith, you are married and you're married to someone not in medicine particularly, correct? So having two incomes helps that debt to income ratio a lot, probably. Oh, oh yeah, it does. And everyone's situation is different. Like if you have familial support, if you don't, um, if you get married, sometimes you get gifts that you can put towards the house. I mean, everyone has a different situation. Um, and, you know, we worked with what we got, but, you know, it was, it took a team to kind of make it work. But if you go solo, you got to do what's best for you. And it's possible to buy a home um, coming right out of medical school. Um, but having a partner that was recently, you know, graduated and was already working, that helped a lot um, with the process. I think it helped make it possible to, to get a home um, with, with that, um, additional income. So I think it just depends your situation. If you have a family, if you've got, you know, a partner, you don't have to be married yet to buy a house together. We bought a house, like we signed all the paperwork, like two days before we got married. So, um, you know, it didn't, it, you didn't need a marriage certificate to say, you know, like you don't need any of that to buy a house with somebody. Um, so just things to keep in mind. You could buy a house with your friend if you wanted to really. Oh, yeah. And just, you know, like they want to see proof that you can actually pay loans, you know, or, uh, credit, you know, credit cards back. They want to see you have a good credit score. So, you know, being, you know, smart financially now can help you in the future. So as a student, like sticking to your budget, not, you know, making sure you have no credit card debt, making sure you have a good credit score. Those things actually matter. They look at like a couple years back. And I think they wanted at least like two years of statements or whatever, yeah. like showing proof that like, uh, you know, you have income for this amount of months, or even like, I think even two months worth of bank statements that they wanted to say, see, I was not in debt or have credit card debt, and I was paying things on time. So even that mattered immensely. Um, so those are just little things you could do to get the process going. Definitely. And something else um, that you kind of touched on was about like credit cards and stuff like that. And it's very important not to take out, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, but don't take out any new credit cards when you're kind of in this process. No new credit cards. Don't buy a, a car. Don't, don't take out any more lines of credit because it will screw up your entire home loan buying process. Yes, especially if you're closing. And 
we had, we were just about to close and we were looking, we were going to like Home Depot to buy some paint. And they're like, you know, you can get 25% off if you open a card. And I'm like, I cannot open a card. I'm buying a house. Like, do not even tempt me with that offer. <laughs> See, like me, I feel like I would forget and be like, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I was like, well, how big of a purchase? Like, are you like, I'm like, what if you need to buy furniture? And they're like, well, that's fine. But don't take out another line. Like, don't take another credit card out. Do not open one, do not get financed for anything until you're officially closed and have everything signed and you have the keys. After that, you can, that's fine. You can open another credit card, but as you are closing, do not mess it up. Like everything is yeah. it's very fragile. Like <laughs> everything has peak responsibility. Yes. Like, yes, do not just stick with what you got. Don't open a new credit card. Even if you need one to start buying stuff for furniture or whatnot, just don't do it until you have your, the keys in your hand. Nice, nice. Okay, so just moving on to some myths about physician loans that I wanted to address, and I addressed this in the last episode, but just to reiterate it, because I hear it so often, people tell me, oh, well, I don't want to waste my one physician loan. And I'm like, oh, that's not accurate, okay? So the myth that I hear all the time is that you can only take out one physician loan in your lifetime, and it's absolutely not true. You can have one home physician loan taken out at a time. So if I took out one right now and then I sold that house, I could take out another one um, as long as I'm within 10 years out of graduation of fellowship. Um, And then it, of course, has to be your primary residence. And then I also was told a lie by a lender. Um, I guess it's a lie. I really don't know if it's a lie. So I was told by a physician home loan lender that taking out a home loan would lower my repayment on my student loans when I guess that's not true because I talked to my financial student loan advisor and he told me that actually has no effect on my repayment plan for my home student loans. So I would keep these things separate. So like keep the the home loan guy, stay in his lane. He can tell you all about home loans, but then listen to your student loan financial advisor, whoever that might be for all of your student loan kind of needs. And remember to keep them separate because they really shouldn't have anything to do with one another. Totally. Totally agree. Um, are there any other myths or rumors that you've heard about, you know, home buying in general that are just false? You know, when we first started, our, our agent was like, oh, it could take up to, up to six months to buy a house. And I mean, it depends on the market, um, you know, which can happen. But we bought a house within, I think, two months of looking. And, um, you know, so we were very... But we were very aggressive with getting a house. We were very much always like every day looking at homes. We were out there like searching nonstop. So it can take six months or longer, but it depends how persistent you are and how much you want it and, you know, make sure everything lines up perfectly and just right. Um, So don't be discouraged because it will come together. But as long as you have a really aggressive agent who's, you know, making calls and talking to other agents and kind of doing some behind the scenes work. Um, and you're all, you're, you keep submitting paperwork on time and getting your stuff in on the back end of it. It can take less than six months if you really, really want it. And it depends what you're looking for. But if you go with a condo, it's a little bit easier and depending where area you're at. Um, so that, that was one thing. Um, I don't think it's really a myth, but it was just kind of like not, it was contrary to what was typically like going on um, with our agent. I gotta think of some more myths. I don't know. What, are, what myths have you heard? Kind of like go off of what you were talking about. You know, even if it does take six months, you know, there's always something for rent and you can always find something for rent if it's a short-term rental or a long-term rental. Yeah. So 
something that I, if I could do it over again, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't have done this, but one of my options that I was strongly leaning towards was, okay, I'm going to keep this home buying process going until the very last minute. And at that point, I'll opt to rent. And so keeping that in the back of your mind, like there's always going to be stuff for rent, especially, I mean, it depends on your location, but for me, I'm going to be living in a college town. There's always something for rent. And so I saw a lot of pressure from people on Instagram and stuff like that to be like, get your housing uh, set up right away. Like as soon as you match, set up your housing. And it kind of got to me and I was like, I, it, it was not what I needed to hear, you know? So if you are stressed out about your timeline for housing and everything like that, and you're like, well, I want to buy, but there's nothing out there right now, just wait. You can literally close on June 30th, okay? But until it is, you know, June 20, 20th when you are in crunch time, then if you really had your heart set on buying, maybe it's not going to work out. And at that point, you can reevaluate and maybe look at rentals. Um, and you can even get a, a one-month rental and keep looking or a month-to-month rental and keep looking. Um, it doesn't have to be this kind of black and white picture. Exactly. Everyone has their own timeline. And we were very much gung-ho. Like, we wanted a house. We knew. <laughs> um, but, you know, I know a lot of people who are still renting and they're finishing residency. But it was like there was COVID. There was this interest rates and all this stuff. And they're like, it was just not a good timing. So if it's a good timing for you go for it. And if everything works out, I mean, I truly believe it all works out for a reason. It all is going to come together. Really, there's so many factors that go into it. And you can keep looking for a long time. Your real estate agent will help you throughout a year if you need it. Um, So they're there for you as long as you're looking until you buy a house. Um, So take advantage of that um, if that's an option. So this brings us to the final Rex segment of the show. This is where Our guest sends you off with something that they really love that they want to recommend to you. And this can be a resource, a book, a movie, a game, a website, an activity, literally anything medicine or non-medicine related. It could be about home buying, who knows. Um, So something that you really love that you want to share with our listeners as kind of a final rec as we sign off today. Well, can I share my pathology art? Is that something I can share? Yeah, 100%. First, I was like, how can I not share that? So um, you can follow me on TikTok and Instagram. Um, my, my art business is White Coat Artistry, and I do a lot of pathology paintings. Um, so if you go on TikTok, I'm just Meredith K. Herman. Um, you will see a lot of my really fun pathology artwork, and I'm always open to ideas and suggestions. So feel free to follow me and interact with my stories and, and uh, posts, and you'll just see all the different paintings I do for fun. So that's kind of my tidbit. Uh yeah, and people want to, you know, support support you. You have an Etsy shop, right? Oh, yes, I do. And if, if you are looking for cards to send to mentors, I have I sell little pathology cards. So if you really, really want little like paints or printing prints, um, those are also available on my Etsy. It's White Coat Artistry. That is such a good idea to give those to your to your preceptors is kind of like a final thank you or whatever at the end. I would always just get my cards at Target, but that's so much more personal. <laughs> They're, they're a hit with, um, if you're a path going to pathology, but if you like, if you're in a certain area, like neurology, if you want to have a glioblastoma um, print, which is really cool. Um, yeah, you could do that for like any, for basically anything like OB-GYN, it would be perfect. You could do like a pap smear. You have pap smear ones. 
Perfect. Oh yeah. Yeah. So definitely check it out. I'm always creating. It's been a little on hold with the moving process, but now I have a little art studio set up and I have space to create more. So um, stay tuned for all the new things I make. Amazing. I just want to thank Dr. Herman again for her time, her openness, and her expertise. I hope all of you found that this this two-part series was helpful. If you have any other questions, feel free to DM me or ask me anonymously at deardeopod.com, where you can check out my blog posts, my guides from medical school. And if you like this podcast, share it with a friend. Give it a five-star rating and review wherever you are listening. This really helps the growth of the podcast. Original music by Cologne, recording and production by yours truly, and I hope to see you here next time.